0: Good morning, good morning, welcome. Here we are, some of us masked up again, oh my goodness. The journey, right? Um, We were, apparently, the building was hit by lightning, so our internet is down. Um, I think we're live streaming on a hot spot, so way to go. Um, If you're with us, I hope you are, um, that I want to say a big welcome to you. Those of you who are in the room, hello, good morning, um, we 're a little fewer and a little more spread out, which is probably okay, but uh, i 'm glad you 're here. Good to worship with you guys. Thank you um, so we're in exodus uh, we 're just we 're kind of walking through exodus and i 'm doing my best to uh, kind of get out of the way um, and let God speak yeah so that 's even the the point of me starting with that little hymn is. You know, Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. The point of this whole thing, the point of the the journey of life or the Jesus journey, um, is that we would come to know him um, more deeply, more fully, more intimately, and progressively become more deeply acquainted with his person, right? That, that's, that is the journey that we're on. And so what we're sort of moving from um, in, in Exodus is there's this interesting transition that happens after chapter 12. So, you know, if, if I had to break Exodus into three parts, I'd probably say that the first, um, the first part of Exodus is Yahweh, the God who saves, chapters 1 through 12. That's who, what we've been looking at. And we've been looking at how he is using this really busted, broken guy named... Oh good, I'm glad y'all are awaken with me. Okay. And, and we're getting ready to enter. We're, we're in fact we're starting at uh, chapter 13, verse 17 this morning. And we're we're gonna enter a, a phase that I would say this is Yahweh the God who accompanies. Okay? So we have first Yahweh the God who saves, saves. then we have Yahweh the God who. And then if you go to the very end of the book, it probably happens most clearly in chapter 29, which we'll get to in a little bit, but I would actually say it's Yahweh the God who indwells. So we have Yahweh the God who saves, Yahweh the God who accompanies, and then Yahweh the God who indwells. Now, let's pause that a minute before we even dig too deep into this chapter, and let's, let's think about Jesus with his disciples. First, he calls them and saves them. Then he journeys with them or accompanies them. And ultimately, he goes to a cross, he's crucified, he defeats hell, he breaks the bondages of hell and death, he's resurrected, and what happens at Pentecost? Indwells. So what I want to do here as we look uh, through the Old Testament is tie it so clearly to the New Testament, um, because it is, it is one. Jesus didn't come to um, abolish or get rid of the Old Testament. He came to fulfill it. And so I want us to actually understand and sort of grasp this God as one who um, is sort of completing, if you will, um, everything in in this book, Genesis to Revelation. So we could also look at it in the book of Acts, because I think that's important. That's when the New Testament church gets going. The Holy Spirit uh, shows up, and the first thing the Holy Spirit tends to do is save people. People get saved. I mean, it's what happens. And, and then in that journey of getting saved and surrendering or yielding their hearts to God, um, God actually comes beside them and accompanies them, and then you actually see people filled with the Spirit, or He indwells. Does that make sense? So it's a pattern that I think is pretty clear. Um, so let's before we uh, step in, let's ask a different question, and let's go, um, what is the goal of the Christian life? What is the goal of the Christian life? Selah. Ponder that for a minute. Tate's pondering. I can see it. All right, I'm going to read uh, Galatians 4.19. Here's what Paul says. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. Until Christ is formed in you. So, so what we're actually embarking upon here as we read uh, chapter 13 starting in verse 17 is a journey that the Israelites are taking through where? The desert, the wilderness. Um, it, 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 most uh, people tend to go, okay, I'm going to come to Jesus and everything's going to be fun, everything's going to be good, and everything's going to be right. In the end, it will be in the end. But the journey uh, of Christ being formed in us often requires difficulty and suffering. I'm going to run people away from this church because I'm not going to tell them that everything's going to be perfect. But here's the thing. I'd rather be in an authentic relationship with Jesus and I care more that he's with me in that journey, that I'm with him in the journey, than that everything's perfect. You get it? Now, does God have a perfect plan for your life? Yes. Does he want to bless you? Yes. Does he want to fill you? Yes. Does he want to give you a beautiful and wonderful life? Yes. The road to get there is the road of Christ being fully formed in you, and it will often involve difficulty and trials. And we're actually embarking upon a look at at this journey through the wilderness, and I can't uh, prove it exactly, but I can more or less say that it appears to me that God keeps speaking to Moses and to the Israelite people, and they're practicing what I would call selective listening listening. In other words, God says, hey, Moses, go deliver the people. And oh, by the way, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. And so Moses thinks he's just going to roll in there and say, deliver the people. And what's Pharaoh going to do? Deliver the people. And what happens? Nothing of the sort, but but God actually fulfills exactly what he said. Moses, you're going to deliver the people, but I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart, and it's going to be difficult. Now, I think we have a similar thing here. God has promised to take people to the promised land, the land of Canaan, but there's probably some selective listening because I think they make the assumption that this is going to be a few-day journey. It's going to be quick and easy, and we're going to get there, and we're all going to drink milk and eat honey and fast in the good life. Are they? Was it his heart that they moved there more quickly? Yes. And so we're going to wrestle with some of those tensions. Okay, Um, let me also start, because I love to tie the New Testament back to the Old. I want to start with a little Pauline text in Corinthians. Um, Paul likens the the church in Corinth in the New Testament um, to the people um, of Israel in Exodus. I want to read one little verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, verses uh, 1 and 2. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud. Today's all about releasing the cloud, by the way. That's what's going to happen in our text. And that they all passed through the sea. What's that? The parting of the Red Sea. There you go. Uh, Verse 2. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So you could actually call this whole text this morning, um, the baptism of two million people because it, it is a, uh, Paul is making the, the, the correlation that what is happening as these people pass through the waters is they are literally being baptized in water. In other words, the old is being washed away, the new is coming, and Christ is now being formed in them. Does that make sense? Okay, let's, uh, let's dig in, and we will start in verse 17 of chapter 13. Scroll along, read along, take some notes, whatever you want to do, but we're going to ask the Lord to uh, speak to us. In fact, Holy Spirit, would you enliven your word to us today? Would you speak to us? Would you cleanse us? Would you convict us? Would you show us? Lord, would you fill us with your spirit? In your name we pray, amen. All right, let's read. Chapter 13 of Exodus, starting in verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though it was shorter. Boy, there's a lot of application there, isn't there? <laughs> for God said if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road towards the Red Sea, and the Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Here's what I'd love you to um, capture and begin to get. It, it, it literally took uh, one night for God To lead the people out of Egypt. It took 40 years for God to wring Egypt out of the people. I don't know about you, but I do not want that to be true in my life. Let me say this again. It took one night for Moses, uh, by the power of God, to lead the people out of Egypt, but it took nearly 40 years. For Yahweh God to wring Egypt out of the hearts of the people. Let that not be true in our lives. Moses and all the people, I think, expected that they would leave Egypt and they would run north. They would go up to a little road that kind of traced the Mediterranean. It was called the Philistine Road. And had the best I understand it, had Moses taken them that route, um, there was two things going on. There was, would have been Philistines on that road that they would have had to battle against, and I think there was up to 10 uh, Egyptian fortresses that were meant to keep enemies out, but they also could have been used to keep slaves in. So they would have had to battle through all those. So they had this expectation, hey, we're going to go north, and instead God says, No, 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 you're going south, the opposite way, away from the road and into the wilderness. Verse 19, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear an oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid. Then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. So Joseph, those who were here at the beginning of this um, series, we actually started with Genesis. And we talked about Genesis um, ending with Joseph's bones in a coffin. And I even proposed to you, I think the people of God stayed too long in Egypt. Um, I think it, it, God could have called them to leave sooner, but they didn't. So when Moses goes, he takes the bones of Joseph. Verse 20. After leaving Succoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night, a pillar of fire to give them light. Now, when the Holy Spirit showed up at Pentecost in Acts, the first couple of chapters of Acts, he appeared in the form of, who remembers? Fire. Okay, and what is this pillar at night? Fire. When Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit, he actually referenced, anybody remember? The wind. He didn't talk about clouds, but he did talk about the wind, and we surely see the, the wind below the clouds, right? So you, you get this immediate Old Testament, New Testament sort of parallel beginning here, but there's a pillar of fire um, and a, a, a pillar of cloud that is released. This is the first time that this actually is released and it shows up. So I want to just propose something else here to you. Moses, um, the presence of God is manifest in this pillar of fire and pillar of cloud, okay? Okay? Um, It took God 80 years to get Moses ready to follow it. Uh, It took the Israelites 430 years to get ready to follow it. In other words, God is, um, we, we tend as humans, because we think God operates on our timetable, we tend to think we're sitting around waiting on God. And I want to say, no, 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 we're not only not sitting around waiting on God, he is waiting on us in our journey frequently so that he can release the full power and presence of his person. So when it says the angel of the Lord in this pillar of fire or pillar of cloud, it says the Lord went ahead, that Lord means Yahweh or Jehovah, and when it says angel of the Lord, you can even make a theological case that that was the person of Jesus. So the presence of Jesus is being released, and these people are able to follow it by night or by day, and and he is absolutely hot after releasing his presence on his people, but he cannot and will not do it until our hearts are yielded and fully prepared and surrendered so that he can do it. Why do we not see God manifest more powerfully on the church today? Ooh. Probably because we're pretty much convinced that we can do it ourselves. This is not my church. Y'all are not my people. I am a vapor and a breath and a funny 40-year-old bald guy passing through, pastoring and shepherding a little group. That's it. But what we're about is actually calling a group of people to recognize that King Jesus, um, or Abba Ab- Ab- Process, yeah. All right, come on. Okay, so uh, where are we? We are in verse. Um, I'm getting lost. We're in verse 21. So the pillar of cloud is just uh, released. So God releases this pillar of, of fire, pillar of cloud. Um, that they could travel by day or by night. Verse 22, neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. I can't imagine, by the way, a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. God spoke from it at points. It rested on the tabernacle at points. It it, it enveloped Moses at points. It's just a fascinating study. All right, chapter 14, here we go. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi-Hiroth between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite uh, Baal-Zephron. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around in the land in confusion. So does God have a purpose in sending them one way and then telling them what? Turn back. So they're heading off in one way. Can you imagine the people getting angry at Moses? Two million people. This is a long wagon train, I'm talking. Going one way, and then they go, beep, about face. Going back the other way. So that, so that Pharaoh thinks they're wandering in confusion. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, but I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. Let's keep going. Verse 5. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and he took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt. A a chariot uh, in this day would have probably been like a tank today. They just mowed people down with the officers uh, over all, uh, all of them. Verse 8, The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped uh, near the sea, near Pi-Hiroth, opposite Baal-Zephron. Verse 10, As Pharaoh approached the Israel, As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and they cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Holy Spirit, would you um, open our hearts and minds here? Okay, a couple of things. Um, I want you to take, if you have a paper Bible, I want you to flip a page and just take a quick glance at chapter 15. Now, chapter 15, they're getting ready to part the Red Sea, they're getting ready to walk through, and then in chapter 15, there is a song that is uh, given in praise to God on the back end of his deliverance, okay? Now, flip back over to chapter 14, and uh, the song that the Israelites are currently singing at this moment is what? Complaining, bitterness, fear, terrified. Do they have the right to be terrified? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so let's, let's just get practical here for just a second. Um, it, 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 the best I can understand the geography of this whole situation, if you were the Israelites and you're standing uh, facing south, then um, you would have had the Red Sea uh, to your left. Um, straight ahead of you would have been this huge uh, mountain range uh, that you couldn't have taken all those people across. To the right would have been the Nile River and the Nile River Delta. And then behind you is who? Pharaoh Pharaoh and his army and 600 chariots. Now, these people are uh, fully hemmed in. They are fully hemmed in. There is nowhere to go. And and I think if I could say anything, um, there is uh, is an opportunity of faith that God gives us before the breakthrough. You follow me? In other words, once the sea has been parted and once the people cross through, can they have faith? For future things, but not for the past. In other words, can they have faith that they're going to be delivered? No. The opportunity for faith is before the deliverance comes. So in other words, when things are absolutely worst in your life, that's the opportunity for faith. When things seem the absolute bleakest, when things seem the worst, when it seems like where is God, what is God doing? He actually led me in. He led the Israelites into a corner. They are boxed in. There is nowhere to go. They are absolutely hemmed in, so that He can glorify Himself. Let me take this a step deeper. If you took the most difficult thing in your life, uh, maybe it's a financial crisis, maybe it's a health crisis, Uh, maybe you've got a crisis with your kids, Uh, maybe you're facing something, even a disease that is going to, might take you out if God doesn't save you. There is an opportunity to partner with God in faith and to see things from his perspective, and trust that he is going to see you through it before it happens. Make sense? In other words, it's impossible to please God, the New Testament says, without faith. Hopefully we're okay out there. <laughs> Will you check and make sure, Mike? Um, there is this opportunity when things are most difficult for you to partner with God in faith. And I would actually call us... Um, To be a people who grasp that. Now, okay, so let's wrestle with this just a minute. Does God want you to have um, a disease, let's say? No. In fact, we get into God's perfect will versus His permissive will. God wanted us all to stay in the garden where there was no sickness and there was no tears and there was no pain and there was no difficulty. And yet, there was a fall. Adam and Eve rejected God. Guess what we did? rejected God. We inherited this sin nature, so we're now dwelling in a time that, is, that we are living in what I would probably say is his permissive will, if you want to use a theological term. So there's all sorts of things happening in this world that in many ways is ruled by Satan that is not would have not been his ultimate intent. And yet, can God use that difficulty and those sufferings and those challenges to form Christ in us? yes still though does he expect us or ask us to partner with him in prayer that he's going to bring us through those things yes i i just worked with a walked with a family who um they lost their son and i'm sitting there uh, wrestling with just the the pain of watching this family who lost their son and yet guess what he was in jesus so where is he now He's an eternity. So it's this, it's, this, like, it's this tension between the mind of the human now and then the mind of God and sort of grasping that this, it's these different things. And can we actually walk by faith in a spot that is extremely difficult or painful right now? And I would call us as a church, if we could be anything, I would want us to be a church who carries um, faith and yet is able to open-handedly go, I'm not going to presume and assume how God's going to do it. You follow me? In other words, I think most Christians, we get all um, sort of messed up because we assume or presume God's going to do a certain thing. God promised that he'd take the people to the promised land. He didn't promise how. You see what I'm saying? In other words, if you're in the journey, he's going to get you there, but there may be things and difficulties and issues of suffering that happen because he's actually working to form Christ in you. It's a, it's a like painful dichotomy, I feel like, even in the Christian life. Okay, let's keep going. Oh, that we could be a people who could praise God in the uncertainty. We're about to read chapter 15 in a few moments, and you actually get one of the first demonstrations of um, corporate worship. Why do we worship God in church? It starts here. A bunch of people coming together and they worship God. But there's an opportunity to actually praise him. It's that song you guys ended with. There's another in the fire. There is this opportunity. And now, am I suggesting you become a glutton for punishment? No. But here's what I am suggesting you do. In fact, I've got, I don't have my phone on me up here, but on my phone, I've got a worship set list. And when things are at their worst, you know what I do? I call a timeout, and I'm going to put some worship on, and I'm going to go, God, I don't like it. I don't understand it. I'm not sure that I agree with it. I might not like the people you've even planted around, but here's the deal. I'm going to praise. Oh, that we could be a people that would praise God before the deliverance. Oh, that we could be a people that when we're backed up against the Red Sea, and we're stuck between the Nile and the Red Sea and a mountain range, and Pharaoh's bearing down on us, that we would go, oh, but we're in Jesus, and he's going to set us free. Now, let's contrast this to what we did last week. They, they took the blood, remember? And the blood went above, and the blood went beside. Now now they're following the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire, and that goes before them. We're about to see at the end of this chapter, I think it's verse 19, where the fire actually moves around behind, and then go back to the, this lamb. What did they have to do with the lamb after they slaughtered it? They ate it. Okay, so you get this imagery and this idea that how do we live our lives in Christ? How do you assimilate Christ in you? How is Christ fully formed in you? You're living under the blood. You're living within the blood. You're living in the presence of God before and behind. You're actually consuming the presence of God. And yet what it looks like with the natural eye is they're stuck between the Red Sea and a mountain range and the Nile River Delta and Pharaoh breathing down their back. So it looks in the natural like they are surrounded, like there is no hope, like they're going to die, like it's all over, and suddenly God breaks through. That's what we're holding on for. That's what we're trusting him for. Let's keep reading. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm. I think it's Ephesians maybe 6, 13 maybe, but it says when you've done all, stand. There's a place and a time where you need to stop doing, and you just stand. And you go, Lord, I choose to trust you. How many of you know sometimes you need to shut your mouth? Sometimes you need to steal your hands. Sometimes you need to go, Lord, I choose to trust so Moses says, "Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians will see today. You will never. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Say that with me. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Verse fifteen. Then the Lord said, Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on." this is such an important verse, way underrated verse. So uh, crying out would be a biblical word for prayer. So what's God saying here? Let's read it again. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. What's he saying? Stop praying. Start Guys, I can't give you the exact formula because there isn't one, but there's a time where you've done everything and you need to stand. There's another time where you need to stop talking about it and stop praying about it and you need to get up and move. And, and there, that, is only a, that is a tension that you can only know by the revelation and indwelling of the Holy Spirit in your own life. But I'm telling you that Christians often sit around and talk and pray instead of getting out and moving. And that is exactly what God is saying Moses right here. Stop praying and start moving. Raise your staff out and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the waters so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them, and I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord, and I will gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and horsemen. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, so here's the pillar of fire, pillar of cloud, uh, withdrew and went around behind them. And the pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them. Then, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other, so neither went near the other all night long. Okay, get that again. So the Israelites are encamped in this place. Red Sea on their left, mountains in front, Nile River Delta on their right, Pharaoh's army's behind them, and who's between Pharaoh's army and them? Yeah, this this pillar of cloud and fire that's right there, and the pillar of of uh, cloud is casting darkness on the Egyptian army and light on the Israelites army. This it kind of reminds you of where Paul says um, the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are saved, it is it is light. What what's incredible is that the presence of God is simultaneously casting confusion and darkness on Pharaoh and light onto the people of God. Now you you have to look at this historically, but you also have to look at it. I think more. Practically, because you have to go. Um, the the um, Pharaoh is, is representative, if you look uh, sort of big picture, of Satan and his hordes. If you look practically, he's the one um, who has kept the Egyptians in bondage. And here is God delivering them. So the, the presence of God moves around the camp and goes from in front of them to behind them. Let's keep going. <clears throat> Then Moses stretched his hand over the sea, and all night uh, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind. Isn't it interesting God has him stretch out his hand? New Testament equivalent of that. Lay hands on one another. Pray for each other. There's something powerful. It's an external manifestation of an internal heart reality and faith when you lay hands on someone and pray. That's why we do it. But so Moses is in this spot, and he is saying, Uh, He is stretching out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. Now, I've read a number of commentators who um, the Red Sea uh, is actually translated from Hebrew Reed Sea, R-E-E-D, Reed. And there's a number of um, probably more liberal commentators who sort of devalue the miracle and say there was like a sandbar and it was an ebb tide and. I would actually say that could be true. God could have had a path uh, through that no one knew was there, um, and there could have been a low tide, and yet it says there were walls of water on each side of these people. So, so is, it, um, is there any devaluing of this miracle? Absolutely not. This is supernatural. God shows up, and the, he parts the waters on both sides, and the Israelites pass through, at night no less, um, through the waters. Verse 23, the Egyptians pursued them and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and he threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord or Jehovah or Yahweh is fighting for them against Egypt. You know it's a good thing when your enemies start saying the Lord is fighting for them. And the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand again over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing towards it, um, and the uh, The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and the horsemen and the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. And that day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. That's a little gruesome, isn't it? Can you imagine? You've you got your families, you've got your kids, you've got everybody there, and that everyone has now witnessed. They've crossed through the sea. Moses, Moses raises his hands. The sea comes back together. The entire 600 chariots and horsemen and all Pharaoh's people are, are all drowned in the sea so that their bodies are washing up on the shore. Now, listen, that is God's heart towards us and our enemies. Now, let me give you a caveat, lest you take that too far. Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Uh, Christians, be careful lest we make our uh, human opponents or people that disagree with us our enemies. Amen? Our enemy is, uh, in this case, their enemy was flesh and blood, but in our case, in the New Testament church expression, um, our enemy is primarily this unseen reality. Now, God's heart is to annihilate your enemies. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're sitting here today, my guess is you've got a list of things that are happening in your life and you're going, I need deliverance. I need God to show up. And his heart as this loving father who has pursued you, we talked about this world, this word gall, the redemption of God, this loving God that comes and redeems the people, would be that he would redeem, he would destroy, he would annihilate your enemies. Then we go into this song that Moses and the Israelites sang to the Lord. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but you have a if you if you took the song and you broke it apart, you have victory past, um, you have the Lord's hand moving, and you have victory future. Let's read a few verses of it. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both the horse and the driver, he is hurled into the sea. This is two million people coming together and singing this song. It says Moses and the Israelites are singing to the Lord. This is corporate worship at his best. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army, he's hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters had covered them, and they sank like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. So we go from victory past, the Lord's hand in the present, and then look at verse 14. The nations will hear and tremble, and anguish will grip the people of uh, Philistia. The chief of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall on them. And by the power of your arm, they will be as still as stone. Verse 18, the Lord reigns forever and ever. Verse 19, when Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them, but the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Then Miriam the prophet That's a female, by the way. It's another sermon, but it's worth noting. Then Miriam, the prophet, Aaron's sister, took a timbrel in her hand. What's a timbrel? Tambourine. Catherine, you got your tambourine? Come on. And the women followed her with timbrels and dancing, and Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he's highly exalted, both the horse and the driver. He's hurled into the sea. You ever wonder why worship leaders get up and they repeat the same stanza? Like I yes. <laughs> yes. What, what stanza did they repeat? I mean, it looks like one stanza, doesn't it? Oh my goodness. Sing to the Lord for he's highly exalted. Both the horse and the driver he is hurled into the sea. Sounds to me like Miriam was leading a big conga line. I mean, this is a big party. And it's like, if I could... Um, as we move towards a conclusion here, there's, there's two things that I would love to tie up for you. We go to um, sporting events, and we yell and shout, don't we? We put on big things on our fingers, and we go, come on, number one. And we're, I mean, we make a big old mess. And we come to church, and we think we ought to sit quietly and passively I'm not suggesting that we should be, make a big old mess, but I am suggesting that there is a time and a place where you come before God and you go, I am hurting and I am broken and I don't understand it all and I haven't even gotten my breakthrough. And yet I am going to trust you and I am going to praise you and I'm going to lift my hands and I'm going to lift my heart and I'm going to surrender my life before you. And I'm going to trust that you are going to deliver me from these enemies. And I'm going to actually speak uh, your words of life, not only over my enemies, but over my life. There is a place where people come together and we release, such a, we release such a shout of exultant praise. And why do we gather on Sunday at church? Ever wonder that? Have you ever gone, why do people even get together? To celebrate. It's to celebrate Jesus. It's actually to encounter him and to invite him into all of those situations in your life. It's actually to praise him and it's to minister to God. It's like it's, this, it's, a, it's a almost transrational, but it is, a, it is a we gather to minister to him. And then we also go, Lord Jesus, would you deliver us from what we're facing? And we have a God who wants to meet you where you are and take you through whatever sea you're facing. I don't know what it is, and you would have to take your own, own heart and your own life. But whatever red sea you're facing, wherever you feel hemmed in on three sides, on four sides, with an army bearing down on you. I want you to remind yourself that you're hemmed in by the blood of Jesus. He goes before, he comes behind, and he wants to fill. This is the God who infills. This is the God who journeys with. This is the God who goes before. This is the God who comes behind. This is the God who wants to meet you in the midst of it. Come on. If we actually believe that God was with us in it, would it change what we're doing? Probably. Would it change what we're saying? Possibly. Would it change the way we're interacting with people? That's the power of the gospel. I don't think, as we close here, I don't think God cares all that much about the style of worship you use, personally. If it's lights and fog, if it's stripped down and simple like what we do, if it's tambourines, if it's dancing, I think what God is looking for is a sincerity of heart and a centrality on Jesus Christ. That's what worship must be. What we are attempting to do here is create a place where we are going, we are a people coming together with sincerity of heart around the person of Jesus. Missy and Daniel, would you come and would you lead us in a closing song? As you guys close, if you have special a need, you'd like special prayer for, I want to invite you to come up front. Maybe we can keep the live stream on for this closing song, but here's what I want us to do. Here's what I want you to do as we sing this. If you're at home, sing it with us. But whatever place you're feeling hemmed in, wherever you're feeling um, trapped and caught, I want you to remind yourself that you're under and within and that he goes before and that he comes behind and that he actually wants to infill you. And then I want you to actually pray and go, Lord, would you part the waters? And would you make a way where there seems to be no way? Stand with me and let's worship together.